Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If so, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you. Aww. Along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use! Exclamation point. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours, too. Uh, so do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 146 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Monday, July 1st, 2019. First day of July in the hot summer heat. I just got done mowing the grass. I nearly sweat out my body weight in sweat. It was not pleasant. Because it's probably like in the 90s over there, right? Let me check my thermosplat here on my phone. It is... This is called dead air. It is 94 degrees. Yep. Fahrenheit, that and is. humid, right? Humid oh, heat. always humid, Mike. Always humid. They have that feels like index thing, too. So it's 94, but it feels like 102 degrees. Great. And Lovely. You, and really puts things into perspective. Like, I'm a little hot in, in, in over here, but it's not anywhere near as hot outside as what you're dealing with, so... No, you have a nice 78 over there. I have your temperature yeah. on my phone. It just, it just gets fucking hot in my room because it's right next to uh, a window. Like, that, you know, my window, like, there's a really big window um, for my room. And it's right at the back of the house, so it always gets hammered by the sun. Yeah, that's how the window is on the west side of my house. You can just feel the heat or the cold in winter. You can just feel it radiating in through the like the glass because yep. it's you know it's an old house in the historic district of Jacksonville, so they use all that you know all that cheap you know material that that what whatever they brought over on the Mayflower that's what my house is made out of. <laughs> so it's like oh, it's kind of like uh, the house I lived in in Oklahoma City for for a bit, which uh, had electrical wiring from the twenties. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah I couldn't isn't plug there in my, uh, uh, it was like a heater or, yeah, I couldn't plug in my heater or like a really good fan without like setting the breakers off because, you know, it's too many things plugged in. Yeah, there's a name for that. It is, um, that old school, it was like what, pipe and wire or, or something. There's like a name for that old timey electrical work. I forget the name of it, but yeah, it's like real old school. Someone out there knows what we're talking about. But um, yeah, so it was kind of scary too because I remember we're like plugging stuff into the wall sometimes, and you'd see sparks. So yeah, yeah you man, you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to fuck around with bad wiring um, or or old like breaker boxes and shit like that. I remember when I first moved into this house, there was. A problem with that after a while living here um there was just a really old breaker box in my house and 
I, always, I heard this like buzzing sound from the box and like anytime you'd open it, you'd smell like burning plastic. And it's like, I'm no electrician, but I'm pretty sure that's not supposed to be doing that. Yeah. But thankfully no. I'm renting. So the people came in and it was all fixed at, at no, char- uh, no cost yeah. to me. Which, so. which is, which is good, which is good. And speaking of things, are, are you, are you doing well? Uh, yeah, I'm doing really good, actually. The, uh, I'm on, like, week five, I want to say, of my anti-anxiety medications. I can, I can honestly say that they've, they've kicked in pretty well. I feel a lot more just balanced and, and overall just better. Um, not perfect, you know, living with OCD as I do. Uh, uh-huh. it, it doesn't eliminate the OCD, but it, it makes everything a lot more tolerable. So are you like like super OCD with some things? Like you want things to be in a certain order? Uh, I mean, know? I mean, I don't know. I would say I'm not, but everyone around me is <laughs> is like bullshit. You know, like he's <laughs> he's very OCD. I don't for see me, it. For me, like I'm OCD about like, a few things like and some of them are just like really like why i don't know why i'm so ocd about it but you know like i i I want the silverware organized a certain way you know in in the drawer and you know i want uh the the knives and the knife block to be put in a certain order and there's a few other things but like my room is like it's just kind of chaos really but a lot of it's I don't have a choice. Like, if I could be super OCD about my movie collection, I would. I would have it or alphabetized and have it by genre and whatever, but I don't have the space. So, yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where you just have to fucking deal with it. <laughs> That's how it was at my parents' house when I lived with them. Like, their house, they lived in a trailer, a mobile home, whatever you want to call it. And it was so, like, my parents' style growing up was. Anybody they knew who was getting rid of any piece of furniture, they would just take it and they'd throw it in our living room. Oh. With the thought of, hey, that's a perfectly hand good me down couch. furniture. Yeah. 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 Like anything hand me down. My dad, it was all my dad this mainly. Is, so, so there could be a scenario where somebody got away with murder in a neighborhood and they cleaned up a couch and threw it outside. <laughs> and your parents would be like, that's a good couch. I think the one caveat was like we at least had to know the people who were throwing it out. Yeah. Like if it was like my grandparents or my aunt or something, like my dad would take it. Check this. Okay, sh- that, check this shit out. That makes more sense. So we used to have this Buick Roadmaster, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Buicks are just these big, ginormous ass cars that scream like America because they're just so big and gaudy and unnecessarily large and usually like old people drive them like when i was a kid that's how it was i don't know if that's how it is now they went on this whole big marketing campaign to to make their cars oh uh you know that's a buick and the and people in the commercial are like what that's a buick because they they've made them look more sleek and sexy or whatever but anyway when i was a kid only old people drove buicks we somehow ended up with a buick roadmaster big motherfucker one thing you can say about them though even though old people may drive them, that motherfucker had a V8 engine and it had these like real luxurious plush leather seats, kind of yeah. this surround sound kind of technology, which was all like real like uh-huh. new for that time. My dad loved that car so much. 
He's he was he was he for real said this. He was not joking. He goes because he loved the seats, especially he goes. Yeah, when this car breaks down, we're you know, we're going to take those seats out and we're going to put them in the living room. And I just at that point, I just wanted to move out of my I want to run away from home because I realized <laughs> that personality wise, I could not be more different than him. And I don't know if that makes yeah. me shallow, but if I invited my friends over and there are fucking car seats in the living room from our car, I would I would understand if they wanted to turn around and go back home. I'd be like, yeah, nah, that's probably a good call. Now, it's, <laughs> it's, it's one thing if you're like some artsy, like poor young person, you know, who, hey, come to my pad, man. It's real funky. I got like car seats for chairs. And that's like one thing. But. My family were like, it's like that one guy who got like an ejection. He got like a ejection seat. You know, he, he bought like uh, the seat from like a jet fighter jet, and he put it in his sure in his lounge room or whatever. Sure, why not? But like my parents were like just being redneck about it. They weren't being they weren't being like artsy hipster. They were being like redneck. I mean, Jesus Christ! I mean. So yeah. Anyway, um, no, I, I I'm having a Fourth of July party this Thursday at my uh, place. Uh-huh. Um, having some friends over. First time I've ever. Cool. Re- Sounds like fun. Yeah. First time I've ever really done anything like this at my own place. I mean, I live alone, so I mean, like the idea and, and the aforementioned OCD. The idea of having like a bunch of. Oh yeah, the OCD. Oh yeah. Yeah, having a bunch of people <laughs> over. God, I hope everyone takes their shoes off. I hope nobody spills anything. Like, I mean, I hope they don't spill any any colored liquid they can spill clear liquid that's fine but just don't stain anything because i mean i want to get my deposit back too as much as possible but yeah so i like mowed my entire lawn you're gonna try to make sure it doesn't get out of hand like those uh movie parties with teenagers where you know or college students no see parties only really get out of hand there's a bunch of sexing going on too no (laughs) parties only really get out of hand if you have if you invite jackasses like known jackasses (laughs) If you invite someone who's cool, it's rare that they turn into a jackass. Like when you, I mean, my people anyway, I don't know about other people, but like my friends, I know how they are when they drink and it's not. Yeah. I mean, there's only like one guy I'm kind of worried about. But besides that, you know, he'll have (laughs) his wife with him. So I'm hoping uh, she'll keep him in line. Yeah. She usually has to wrangle him in and and all, which has got to be gotta be a fun thing for her like oh yeah this is what i signed up for when i got married like keeping my jackass drunk husband in line everywhere we fucking go like that's gotta be like a strain on any marriage i would think it would that's be for me reason why my mom got divorced with my dad <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah. alcohol yeah he's just an obnoxious drunk like really obnoxious that's understandable so. that's how my cousin is i hate to break i hate to slag my cousin so much on this podcast but god damn that dude is a fucking asshole when he drinks and it's part of the reason why i don't really like hanging around with him because i mean in, in a typical uh alcoholic way way of thinking like the only time he wants to hang out is is to drink or get drunk drinking is going to be involved that's like where there's no such thing as us just hanging out and not drinking yeah and since I'm so yeah, anyway, let me, I'm I'm done yeah. talking about that. <laughs> so I'm doing pretty good too. Um, my hours this week were pretty decent. Like I had close to thirty. My body, my brain is not used to doing like three over seven hour shifts back to back. So, um, 
plus another six one six hour shift on top of that. So money, that money, money, money. But hey, you know, like yeah, money, money, money. Exactly. Um, it's kind of there's some funny stuff. Like um, there was this guy actually. He was kind of sketchy anyway. And he and his girlfriend, and he wasn't really having the best attitude from the start with things. And I said something, you know, innocuous, like, because he's deciding to triple bag something. I'm like, hey, you know, uh, a, a double bag will probably work just fine. And I didn't say it in a way that was condescending or anything. But, you know, this fucking dumbass who honestly looked like, you know, that uh, that uh, Kyle meme. Like, he was Kyle. <laughs> like, he was totally Kyle. And... I would not be surprised if, you know, he had Monster Energy drink in his car or something He had, like he had that. some drywall he had to go home and punch. <laughs> exactly. Because he's pissed off at his stepdad. Yeah. So, he actually goes in after I take care of him and he says, you know, you, 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 know, you know, man, you should you need to work with your customer service because, you know, you're being a, you're being a bitch. <laughs> he said you're being a bitch? Yeah. Yeah. And as he walked out, I said, uh, I said, you know, quietly, I'm like, well, fuck you, too. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, he done got on Mike's bad side. And that is a side you do not want to be on. I mean, like, wow, dude. Like, fuck. <laughs> it's your fucking problem. Jeez, Kyle. you were being a bitch because you... God, I don't understand... But you know what's so funny about like when they make a comment that's that's that. Well, it wasn't just that. It was also he wanted me to do like extra stuff that I couldn't really do with extra money and like and change and stuff like that. Like we aren't really able to give cash back. So he was trying to do that. Well, so. his meth dealer doesn't take debit cards, Mike. He needed cash. <laughs> But the funny thing is, though, is like when they go that hard on the insult by, you know, you doing a bunch of fairly innocuous stuff and then him calling you a bitch, that's that reflects more on him than it does on you. Yeah, Th that shows you how yeah. how he has poor human skills, not how you have poor customer service yeah. skills. Yeah, exactly. It's like, wow. So you're going to call someone a bitch <laughs> for. OK. <laughs> All right, have fun attempting life. I'm sure you're gonna have a great go of it. So yeah, that that other than other than being called a bitch, everything's been going pretty well. Um, there was a moment at work that kind of freaked me out, though. I was just walking down the aisle, and like there was this new like school uh, sort of chalkboard thing that we've been putting up, uh, and it was hanging up, and then all of a sudden, one of them just flew off the shelf. Did you like, did, completely off the shelf? You onto saw the it? floor. Yeah. Wow. It was it was pretty trippy. Um, I think what it, I think there's a logical explanation for it though. I think what it was was for some reason the people who decided to set these up decided it was a bright idea to have these fairly heavy plastic chalk or or chalkboard sort of things. And hang them up on a hook just with like a little plastic uh, sticky thing. You know, like you stick on this plastic um, tag, which, you know, slides over the metal hook. They thought that was going to be enough. And that's already causing problems. 
Like, cause there's already shit falling down and falling off. And I'm like, wow, that's going to be a pain in the ass to keep dealing with that. <laughs> it's a bright idea. Whoever decided they, they were, uh, light enough to be hung on a, on a hook with just a little tiny sticky plastic thing. It's going to be such a pain in the ass to deal with for, for the rest of the time that they're up there. I'm pretty sure they'll probably get moved. This is just such a pain in the ass. Yeah, you have to kind of constantly deal with that. Yeah, so it's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so we got uh, I got an email back from CrimeCon because um, I submitted uh, us to you know be a part of their featured podcaster whatever. They said they had our info and they're going to get back to us in the fall uh, if we okay. you know whatever. So we we may right. we may end up you know qualifying to be a part of CrimeCon. Or they're just they're just they're just stringing you along. Well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people submit to be a part of it, and most of them get turned down. You know, I mean, our our podcast is not like you know small potatoes, but it's not like big. I don't know. It's like a mid size. It's like a nice mid size sedan of a podcast. Speaking of which, we're probably going to annoy people if we keep talking any further about things non-mysterious. <laughs> so uh, this week we are covering. Um, well, Mike's still still digging in the uh, season twelve gold mine over there, apparently. Yeah, and he uncovered a case that uh, that had some meat on it. Yeah. So the the this case is the Harper's Ferry remains, and. Um, I thought it was a really solid case in terms of, you know, you got the mystery, which is a mysterious trunk um, that is uh, found by a police officer. And then you have, like, the whole mystery surrounding uh, not only what's in it, but what happened. And uh, it's one of those cases that you ultimately, you figure out everything along the way. And it's, it's honestly pretty tragic and sad and fucked up a lot of different ways. And does expose a really disturbing and sad part of society. So anyway, let's 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 uh, get down into this depressing trunk of sorrow, shall we? <laughs> Damn, what a wordsmith! <laughs> so at around 11 p.m. on the evening of May 13th, 1996, at the Harper's Ferry National Historical Park in Virginia. An off-duty park ranger noticed a steamer trunk on the side of the road near the entrance of the park. Without a radio, he decided to wait until the next morning to report it. Actually, I think it was a girl, it was a, it was a lady, so she decided to wait until the next morning to report it. But then the sheriff's deputy, Clark Jackson, he showed up and he discovered the trunk and he found that there was a large amount of tape around it. And in, in the segment, he's actually talking about like, what if this has a body in it? Like he's talking about, like I would literally, I was thinking, literally thinking, like what if there was a body in this trunk? And he removed the tape. He opened the trunk. He found a duffel bag inside of it. He unzipped the bag and then found another duffel bag, which is never a good sign. You know, when you're when you're unzipping a duffel bag and you see another bag in the duffel bag, it's either drugs or a body. Yes. He then unzipped the second one. He found several clothes. He moved the clothes, and then he saw a human hand. That's a sight that, um, I don't know about you, I don't think anyone wants to see. 
You'd have to think it was fake. I would think it was fake at first. I'd be like, oh, this is some, you know... It's this, a prank. Yeah, some prank or prop or something. So, he moved the clothes, he saw a human hand, and then he immediately contacted other authorities. Police determined that there was a body inside the trunk. It was the body of an old man. The man was in his 60s or 70s and was wearing only pajama tops. He was extremely emaciated, being five foot seven, yet only weighing 111 pounds. And in this segment, they actually show the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the pictures of his dead body because they're like his only way that they could really find a way to, to show what he looked like other than a computer generated image. So Robert Stack is even like warning people like, you know, sorry, basically saying, sorry, you know, if you get triggered for, for these, uh, for this disturbing imagery, it's like the only way we can maybe get some identification for this man. And it is really rough. So he was extremely emaciated, being five foot seven, yet only weighing 111 pounds. He was scrawny looking, had stubble, and appeared to be unkempt. The fact that he was wearing only a pajama top suggested that he was wheelchair bound. Large doses of a tranquilizer was discovered in the man's system. It was determined that he died of strangulation, but also suffered from blunt force trauma to the head. Investigators determined the man had been dead for about two days and that his killer dumped him in the park between 8.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. on the night of May 13th. Police speculated that the man lived in a private home or a convalescent home. Someone, either a caretaker, relative, nurse, or orderly, wanted him dead. Authorities believe he is actually one of the thousands of elderly victims that are killed each year by those who take care of them. The crimes usually go undiscovered because they are at the age where they are expected to pass away. So... Yeah, there are thousands of these murders, folks, that go unsolved or ultimately are solved. But there's a lot of them that are unsolved involving these older uh, people, older men and women who are convalescent, who are who can't really take care of themselves and they get killed. And the police don't really give a shit at most of the time. They're just like, well, you know, natural causes, they're old. I remember one story on the news here locally where uh, a caretaker killed or murdered uh, an elderly person that they were supposed to be caring for. Uh, And it was the weirdest. They killed him in the weirdest way. And it's sick, honestly. Um, What they did was they took the, the elderly. I think it was a man. They took the elderly man to a swimming pool like an indoor public swimming pool. And I guess it was at a time where like no one was going to be there. And they made the old man like go swimming in the swimming pool. And the lady would not let the man out of the pool. Like he kept trying to get out and she would not let him get out. And he eventually like got so weak that he just drowned in the water. That's horrible. And they caught it all on camera, like on on security uh. camera. And they showed like a time lapse. And, and, you know, like the security cameras are only like six frames per second or what or one frame per second. Or, so it's like this real blocky time lapse saying of this old man, like like circling around and keep trying to get to the exit. And she keeps kind of pushing him away. And then eventually he just like goes under it's real it's it was so disturbing i'll always remember that that is i mean to me the people who take advantage of these older elderly 
people who, you know, that they can't really take care of themselves and are, are very vulnerable. Uh, they're evil, really. Evil people who, you know, kill these elderly, you know, individuals so they can, you know, steal their money or, you know, get them for profit. And, and, and it's really, it's really, and it is, like I said, it's, it's a dark part of society that is not talked about enough that there is a chance that when you get older and you can't take care of yourself, you know, if, and, and if possibly your family doesn't want to do it, you can end up in a situation where you are taken advantage of. There's not really much you can do about it. And you could be killed. And then your your death would just be considered to be a, a, a death of natural causes, despite the fact that you could have been poisoned and died horribly. So investigators believe the case may have been a burden homicide where the man's caretaker was tired of caring for him and decided to kill him. Uh, I have to admit, the reenactments in this, they're cheap, you know, because it's, it's the Lifetime series, but it still has this really eerie, like, foggy look to it, and it's really... It's, it's like you're peering and it's got kind of off kilter and you're just peering into like these situations and these reenactments. It just seems so nightmarish, you know, innocent, old, an innocent old man being just forcefully fed pills by, by his caretaker. Disgusting. Um... In, the, in that scenario, the killer would have had to make sure that they had all the control over the man's money before they got rid of him. Police are baffled, however, as to why the trunk was left in the open just two feet away from an overlook. If it had gone over the edge, the trunk would have gone into the river and would have never been found. Investigators speculated the killer may have wanted the man to be found, but could not understand why. The most likely theory that was due to its close proximity to a trash can, the killer believed that the trunk would have been picked up by a trash truck and taken to a landfill. So there's a possibility, folks, too, that you literally could get taken and thrown into the trash. What a life, huh? Just a garbage move by garbage people. Um, speaking of trunks, I'm going to mention a story involving a trunk. Um, there's one day, uh, Mom and I and, and Troy, we were home, and for some reason... Uh, there was a trunk that was, like, just left, uh, near our house. And we were like, what the hell is this about? And we didn't want to, like, go and investigate ourselves, because, like, how often in that type of scenario is that a good thing? Or just an in assuming, oh, somebody just leaves a trunk, you know? Most of the time, it's, like, something shady. So... My mom actually called the police to call the cops and the cops came over and they actually did open the bo the trunk and there was there was nothing in it. It was very unassuming. It was nothing it was nowhere near as exciting as it as it it, it sounds from the from the beginning. But it was just one of those things that I, I think is a kind of a funny story because it's just like all this a build up and all this suspense of like what's in the box or what's in the trunk? What's in the trunk? And then like there's nothing in the trunk. Oh. I got a firsthand uh, ex experience with the type of disappointment that uh, Geraldo Rivera and his viewing audience got when they finally broke into Al Capone's vault. Saw that there was nothing in there worth of note. 
Well, that's a that's a miniature buzz kill. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm glad it wasn't a body. <laughs> I mean, again, you know, but like shows like Unsolved Mysteries, like you get kind of programmed to like think that like that that that's a possibility. Like there could be a body in there. Yep. Or a bomb. Yeah. Drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but it's worth it for all the entertainment. It's worth. I mean, who knows? I mean, who knows? The Unabomber, that this kind of shit he would probably do. Just leave fucking packages, you know, in random places. What's what really so. has me freaked out is when I went and rewatched the uh, the letter, uh, the zip gun uh, terrorists or whatever. Yeah. Where like people would get sent a book or a letter or whatever. Yeah. They open the book up and they get shot with a bullet. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? But, I mean, our fans wouldn't do that to us. Or the anthrax scare. Uh, I wasn't, I was never so afraid of that. I kind of felt like that one, I felt like the media had, like, blown, like, out of proportion. Yeah, but, I mean, just the idea of it, though, is pretty terrifying. Having white powder in, in an envelope. Or that rice and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking crazy, man. The urban legends around that kind of stuff is crazy, too. Like, the whole stuff around the around AIDS at the time. Like, oh, it's just gonna have a needle on the phone. Or, you know, uh, I always, you, get, uh, you get pricked as soon as you sit on the toilet. Now you have AIDS. No, I heard it was <laughs> the uh, gas pumps. That was the big yeah. one. That, that And I, to, dude, to this day, I think about that. When I grab a gas pump, I think about... Grabbing it and getting poked by an AIDS needle. Yeah, it's like it's like when I think about uh, Tylenol, I think of the whole thing involving you know the the Tylenol scare back in the, I think the eighties. Um, yeah, American media know, has, has done a, Tylenol and American media has done a good job making us nice and paranoid, keeping us yep. keeping us afraid. So we so in some in some ways, it's bad, but in other ways, it's kind of good. It's it's a it's it's a double edged sword, paranoia. So the so uh, however most of the murders of the elderly are disguised as death by natural causes. Authorities would not find out about the murder unless an autopsy was done, and most of the time they're not done. Uh, there's another problem involving autopsies in America. We have a lot of people who are uh, considered to be medical examiners or coroners but they have no experience like in alabama you can literally just you could just be have zero experience and you could be a coroner wow you just think dead bodies are neat and you like poking them with stuff as long as you got a clean record and everything boom so that that's uh because there was an episode of last week tonight where john oliver talked about uh, that aspect, and I, I never really thought about you know that you know corners and 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 that aspect of of, of uh, our society and like how lame a lot of it is. Like there's people who literally don't know what they're doing who are doing these autopsies and other stuff, or they're doing these autopsies in like a storage, what seems like a storage closet with like just one little light. Jeez, that sounds like like uh, like some like saw or that movie hostile type shit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
So authorities would not find out about the murder unless an autopsy was done. An autopsy performed on the John Doe was done, not only to find out how the man died, but also to find out his identity. The man's dental records and fingerprints were taken, but no matches were found. They did find a microvalve implanted in his heart during a previous surgery with a serial number on it. Authorities hoped to trace the man through it. However, the physician that did the surgery did not return the card with the man's information and the serial number. Whoops. <laughs> Since May of 1996, authorities have been unable to solve the mystery of the John Doe. They say the victim has a distinctive face and that anybody who knows the victim will recognize him based on the picture of him or composite. And that's why they showed uh, the autopsy uh, photos. Um, like, not like him cut up or anything, but they showed his dead body uh, on, 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 in the segment. However, the man remains unidentified and his killer is still at large. But... That is all the information from before um, it was actually resolved, thankfully. So first aired on the November 26, 2001 episode, the case is infamously known for the rather disturbing photograph of the man in the corner table, and it is. It is right up there with the ever disturbing photographs of like dead bodies seen like in uh, the whatever happened to Aunt Diane, the... Uh, or something happened to Aunt Diane, whatever. whatever. Something, something's wrong something with Aunt wrong, Diane. Yeah, something wrong There's something with wrong with Aunt Diane, sorry. Um, and, uh, of course, the West Memphis 3 case, um, Paradise Lost. So, in the book, In the Arms of Evil, True, a story of obsession, greed, and murder was actually written about the case. Because it was solved. In November 2003, police submitted the John Doe's fingerprints to a database and identified him as 75-year-old Jasper F. Jack Watkins through his military fingerprint records. Several months after discovering his identity in August of 2004, authorities arrested Nancy Jean Siegel. She was subsequently charged with, mur with murder and mail fraud. Investigators discovered that Siegel had met Jack in 1994. Jack was recently widowed and Siegel had sold him a burial vault for his wife. At the time, Siegel was on probation for theft and fraud. The two began a romantic relationship. Within a few months, Siegel began using Jack's personal information to open credit card accounts. Over the next year, she bought several expensive items, including a BMW with Jack's money and on the credit cards in his name. She also prevented him from contacting his friends and stepchildren. That's one of the major steps that these predators do when it comes to these uh, situations where they take advantage of the elderly. Uh, investigators discovered that by spring 1996, Siegel sold Jack's home and most of his personal possessions. After that, they went to Atlantic City. When Jack went to the hospital, he claimed that Siegel was his girlfriend. However, she told him that she was his caretaker. She unsuccessfully tried to place him in a long-term care facility. A few weeks later, he was found dead in a steamer trunk. Siegel never reported him missing and continued to use his identity for years after his death. Such a cold, callous, calculating... Bitch. Collecting his retirement and social security benefits, his disappearance is not discovered because she had cut off his contact with his friend and family. After Jack was identified, Siegel was questioned. She initially claimed that he was still alive. When investigators told her that she, they identified his body, she, virt she virtually confessed to the crime. And in March of 2009, she was convicted of second-degree murder, witness tampering, theft of government benefits, identity theft, and mail fraud. She was sentenced to 33 years in prison.
So thankfully the case was solved and he did get a proper burial and um, he's no longer known as a John Doe, but it's just, it's still really tragic what, what, what happened to, to this man. Yeah, that's, it's one of those cases that you really don't like, I don't know, sometimes, sometimes it's just too, uh, it's, too, it's just too brutal to, to, like, I, I find myself watching Unsolved Mysteries sometimes, and I, I'm like, you know, living by myself, and I audibly go, damn, or I'm just like, man, or I do something like that, I'm like, just sitting there watching it, because I'm like, god, yeah. that's like awful, how much worse can people get? in this world that's why they had I, I, I swear to god that's like one of the only reasons the stupid um miracles and and heartwarming reunions were tacked into the show because like they needed something to couch in between like this horrific because yeah. i i honestly feel like that's the reason people really tuned in was the horrific shit but they you know you need a little bit about uh, the happy music the da -na -na -na, da -na -na -na, for the uh, heartwarming yeah. reunions some of those are really fucking heartwarming too, by the way. Yeah, I watch some of them are are really sad, or or you know ones where they're trying to find their missing relative, and like the one where he finds he finally finds his daughter, but then really and then discovers that she died in like a tragic explosion. Oh jeez! Like, oh man! Jeez, an explosion! Yeah. God damn! Yeah. It's overkill. Yeah, your your daughter's dead. She fell out of an airplane. And then hyenas ripped her limbs off. And then a motorcycle ran over those hyenas. <laughs> like, fuck. Maybe motorcycle wasn't the vehicle of choice. That. Whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Um, do we have anything else to say about the Harper's Ferry Reminds? Uh, I don't really have anything else to say. Um, or uh, any remaining uh, oh my God. statements to, to make. You managed to make a dad joke about like a murder case. Only Mike, man. That's the talent that... I've done that before. I don't know. <laughs> there's a certain level of... There's a certain God-tier dad level you get when you can, like... I don't have any more remaining things to say about... The fuck? That was masterful, Mike. I'm proud of you. I've never felt more proud to stand next to this man <laughs> and call him my co-host. Uh, Alright, moving on. We have the case of the uh, Casey Nicole... The crew of the Casey Nicole, I should say. Uh, this is a great one. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's like, this is one that, that, that the guy who survived is going to be telling his kids and his grandkids for, like, yeah. generations to come. And, and I mean, I'll, I'll mention more uh, when we get to it, but, like, his, his resolve and his strength is unparalleled. Well, see, Mike, someone from down uh, from from where you're at may not understand how tough us Southerners are, which this man is very, very Southern. Good God. <laughs> he reminds me of like, I don't know, probably someone my dad would have been friends with. He is very Southern. Um, so anyway, on April 12th, 1990, four commercial fishermen prepared to embark on a seven-day expe expedition in the Atlantic. The captain was 23-year-old Billy Joe Neesmith. I mean, Billy Joe. I mean, Billy Joe, <laughs> man. Hey, that's all you need to know is Billy Joe. The crew included his brother, Nathan, his nephew, his nephew Keith Wilkes, and a, a friend, Franklin Brantley. 
In the late afternoon, they set off on the Casey Nicole, a snapper boat owned by a man named Doug Tyson. The boat had recently spent five weeks in, a dr in dry dock for maintenance. Nathan Neesmith was at the helm. In, in, in uh, retrospect, the fact that it, this boat had already been on, on dry dock, they, they, it probably was not a good idea for them to, to do that with that boat. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it does not have, it has a pretty dubious history. So maybe they should have like waited a bit. There also apparently was some dry rot going on, but we'll get to that. Yeah. So, exactly, uh, which is uh, a serious uh, problem. I guess it was somewhere around 3.30 or 4 in the morning. It was still dark. This is uh, Billy Joe or, or Nathan. Or it's, it's, it's Nathan. Okay. Um, this is him talking. It was still dark. I had got up and was operating the boat, and the boat just seemed to be sluggish, you know, like, like it wanted to bust through the waves kind of like a submarine or something. It didn't want to ride over the waves. So I told my brother he was laying in the bunk. I woke him up. I, I said, something's wrong with the boat. Nathan then took his brother to the control panel. It was there that they noticed the Casey Nicole was riding unusually deep in the water. Then they checked the bow where the other crew members were sleeping. What Nathan saw surprised him. When we turned on the light, we noticed there was water about a foot deep down in the bunks where they were at. And I will say the actor, like the one guy yeah. in the in the reenactment was just awful. But then yeah, the, he was. the other people were good. The one guy's like, yeah. the, uh, Nathan, I guess, was like, yeah, I tried to turn on the uh, the automatic pilot. Like, it's like literally the actor was looking for his line. Like you were watching yeah. an actor like look for his yeah. line and they. But I think there are other aspects of his performance that were pretty decent. So I think it was like it was a mixed bag type of performance. Yeah, his physical, for, for his actual like physical acting when he doesn't talk is fine, but his yeah. actual dialogue was bad. But everything <laughs> else was great. Like it showed, or, you know, it's it ha they had a bow. They you know they were out in the middle yeah. of the ocean or what? It, what the production quality was really high with this reenactment because they did a lot of. It seemed like they did a lot of this for real. Yeah, like like they opened the little hatch on the floor of the boat or whatever, and they you know it, they actually showed the sm you know smoking engine and the water in you know flooding the engine, and then they go down into the bow and they wake up everyone else and. They go to get up out of their little bunks and they're like stepping in like a foot of water and it's like it really puts you in that that yeah. that that situation, you know. So to make matters worse, the boat's pumps were inoperable. You know, it's like God, just this is a nightmare. Yeah, it's just situation. it's just like everything you you would you would you not want to happen is just happening. In order to prevent the boat from sinking, Nathan and his crew had to bail the water out with buckets. And we got in line and we started passing the bucket and trying to bail the water out. Bail the boat out, I should say. In the meantime, we took the life raft out. It was a two-man life raft. We'd been hollering Mayday on the radio. We had Billy Joel on it, working on it. Never got anywhere with that. And th then the engine finally stalled. All the power on the Casey Nicole was lost. The radio was useless. Nathan and his crew had no choice but to abandon ship. The life raft was kind of rotten. It had a hole on the side of it, up on the top. We don't really know what happened there, but we do know it had a hole in it about the size of a quarter. 
And that's not ideal either. It's like, it's just things go from bad to worse and then even worse. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it's one of those things, situations where like it's unbelievable. You're like, this just sounds like a movie script, you know, that yeah, everything I mean, it really is does. just going as horrible as it possibly can for these, these poor, these poor guys. And, um, they they had a theory that maybe like you know maybe the anchor, the anchor had caught the the life raft or whatever it is though it's just really really bad luck. By sunrise, the raft was sinking fast. Then salvation came floating by. It was the hatch cover from the Casey Nicole. The four men tied the raft to the hatch cover and climbed aboard. And the actors in this reenactment, they did all this for real too. Like in the, it looked like in the middle of the ocean or some, yeah, some type of uh, body of water. Like, I mean, I'm sure just out of frame, they were surrounded by yeah. boats and all. But yeah, I mean, they pulled out all the stops for this. So that's the difference. What's one of the main differences between a season like this and in, in the prime of the show uh, versus? The later seasons, yeah, I mean, you don't have reenactments that are nearly as well done in terms of production quality or or any of those things. I mean, how many cases do you think they turned down in the later seasons just from a production standpoint? They're like, we we don't, you know, this would be this is a great story, but that would be too expensive to produce, you know. Mm-hmm. Like we're we, you know, we're just not gonna that wouldn't be feasible. You know, I'm sure that was a, a conversations that were had in, in the later one. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so they cover they they tied the raft to the hatch cover and climbed aboard. And then Nathan saw the hull of the Casey Nicole in the far off distance. It looked like it was maybe three or four miles from us. I said, I don't know what kind of chance we got, but at least maybe one of us can make it to the boat and get some kind of help. Well, that's what I struck out to do. And they started hollering, no, 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 you come back. If we separate up, we're going to be split up and ain't no one, ain't no telling what can go wrong. Without heeding. You know who this guy kind of reminds me of? Who's that? Um, at least the act, the actor who's playing uh, uh, Nathan. Danny McBride. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Kenny Powers in this situation. <laughs> He's bounding down. Oh, that'd be funny. So, without heeding the warnings of his fellow... He would be fellow, a hell of a lot less eloquent. You know, that's for sure. Okay. All right. Can, can I proceed now, Mike? Yeah, you can. Oh, you can proceed. All right. You've gotten all, your, you've gotten all your thoughts out on this? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. All right. So, without heeding the warnings of his fellow crewmen, Nathan swam to the stem of the, of the sunken boat. Now, I don't really understand the thought process here. They are on a piece of the ha- the hatch cover which is you know buoyant it's floating and yeah. they tether their raft to that what is the point of one of the men swimming three or four miles i don't i've never swam i haven't like kept track of how long a mile is in the water i don't even think i could swim half a mile <laughs> I, I, i've run i've run a mile and that takes a you know that takes a few minutes and that's on ground where you can move much faster. I don't even want to think about how now that I think about whenever I do my typical workout, I run about three miles and that takes me half an hour Mm -hmm. swimming three or four miles. So what I'm saying is like, 
what what was the impetus for this man to break away from the group and swim over to a piece of the wreckage? Like I don't know either. What good like, was that? That's one of the things that really stood out to me, among other things about this segment. Is just like why? And all he said was, you know, if uh, at least one of us can make it to the boat and get some kind of help, is what he said. He goes, I don't know what kind of chance we got, but at least maybe one of us can make it to the boat and get us some some kind of help. What kind of help, bro? Nathan, what kind of help? The boat is dead. The boat is sinking. We can't use the radio or anything the, like that. The boat that. is in Bikini Bottom at this point. <laughs> what kind of help are you thinking about getting? If there's any kind of flair or anything of, of, of use... Uh, you should have grabbed that before you abandoned ship when it was yeah. initially sinking. So, like, I don't know uh-huh. what this guy was thinking. But, uh... Cause it, yeah, it is one of those things that is is pretty baffling. Um, it's mysterious as well as uh, his eventual survival. So, he goes... Because, like, it is so crazy what, what he decides to do. Yeah. So, he goes on to say... I just kept swimming and kept swimming. I swam from, oh, about 9 o'clock that morning and just before dark that afternoon. I got to where I thought the boat was. I I drank so much salt water trying to swim in it, and, and I was just real weak. Now, first of all, I thought drinking salt water made you go crazy. That's what I always was told. Mm-hmm. If you're ever stranded in the ocean, do not drink the the water. Now, that, that probably has more to do with the fact that there's so much sodium in yeah. the water that it's actually going to dry. Maybe he drank a lot of salt water before he even decided to swim for it, for the yeah, boat. Yeah, and that's what made him swim, because he became batshit crazy. He just drank yeah. a lot of salt water, and he's like... <laughs> and he just, like, decided to just... And he was just, he was just thinking, like, there's a party over <laughs> at that boat. Uh... <laughs> Hey guys, I, that's uh, Jimmy Buffett over there. He's playing Margaritaville. Um, hey Jimmy, save me a cheeseburger in paradise. <laughs> As darkness fell, Nathan lost sight of his companions. He spent a long, harrowing night clinging to the hull of the Casey Nicole. Ugh. How? Ugh. How? How do you swim <laughs> three or four miles and then still have the energy to like cling? Yeah. To the hall, all fucking night. Like, how do you I, even pass time just sitting there? Do you sing? You'd be too weak for that. What do you do? You might. Mu- I mean, this man's strength, physically, you know, physical and mental strength. Like I said, it's unparalleled. You, it's, it's amazing. You, you must literally go for something that's honestly pretty dumb. Like, yeah. like, like what he would decide to do is not really smart. Your brain must literally go, there must be another compartment of your brain that is like literally not activated until you get into a moment where you think you're legitimately going to die. Crisis situation. Yeah. And and, th- and there is something to be said about that. There are some people who do have that switch. Like the supposed death grip, you know, like when, like yeah. if you feel you're going to fall or something like that and you literally like your hand locks, you know. Yeah, the closest I've gotten to a death grip. It's just, you know, holding things way too tightly. Like, when I play video games, like, my parents, like, joke around with me. It's like, stop having a death grip on the controller. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I can't help it. For some reason, I, like, I just keep, like, gripping that thing, like, way too tight. I had a death grip on the uh, steering wheel when I first... Yeah, the steering when wheel, I too. When I first yeah. started driving, when my dad was 
teaching me how to drive. He's like, yeah. He's like, you don't got to have a death grip on it, son. <laughs> I was like, you know. But then my dad, at the same time, my dad would be sitting there saying shit to me like, you know, yeah, you just want to make sure your butt's right on the oil slick in the middle of the road, you know, and that's how you know the car's centered and, and you know, make sure you maintain focus because, I mean, really, you're... So he wanted you to actually go into an oil slick? Well, you know, he was, say, he was saying, like, mentally, like, imagine that if, oh, if, you're in, if okay. your butt is in the middle of the oil slick All in the right. middle of the road, that the car is pretty much centered. That wasn't really the point that I was wanting you to focus on. He, he then goes on to say, uh, he's like, he goes, yeah, I mean, you know, you definitely don't want to get into that other lane, you know. I mean, really, you're inches away from death at all points while driving. I'm like, oh, my God, Dad. <laughs> now you're sitting here saying you don't, want me, you don't want me to have a death grip on the fucking wheel? Uh, and, and he wasn't even trying to be like, you know, like a douche. He was. That's just how that man's mind worked. Like, mm. he was like the most... Like worried, worryful. I wonder where I get it from. Maybe how Nathan's mind worked. You know, maybe it wasn't crazy. He was just like, if there's any any chance that, that there's something in that boat that could help us, See, I, I'm I, I'm gonna go get it. This man, no, Nathan had no fear. That was his problem. He had no yeah. fear, but in this case, it saved his life. Surprisingly enough. Um. So the next morning, a freighter passed within three miles of Nathan. Looked like it made about four stops, maybe five, and each time it would stop or circle. And it was in the direction where my other mates were, so I, I figured that maybe it, it had stopped to pick them up. The freighter continued its odd movement for nearly three hours and then disappeared. For two and a half days, Nathan yeah, drifted. Yeah, two and a half days. <laughs> he drifted and prayed that the Casey Nicole would stay afloat. Suddenly... I'd be dead by then. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, like, it would just be... Oh, my, my dude, I would be fucking, I would be dead, uh, shit, a few hours after. Or if I wasn't dead, I would have been picked up by that freighter and taken to some foreign country. I would be like, know. like, as the raft started to sink, I'd be in that water for like maybe a few hours. And I'd be like, all right, guys, peace out. And I just like sink, <laughs> just sink to the bottom. <laughs> like, I don't think I'd do that, but yeah. Like, it's been yeah. real. So, uh, Nathan prayed that the Casey Nicole would stay afloat. Suddenly, a large wood and styrofoam bait box broke loose from the boat's deck and popped up to the surface. And I swam over to it, and I got to the front of it, and, and bless God, the whole front was out. I mean, it, it was just like a boat to me. It, it, it was really hot. I mean, I was getting real sunburnt. My skin was turning real, real red, and I was real close to dead and I, I remember saying god please let me go home to my wife and kids and the makeup effects on him were, were pretty decent yeah you know, they really did a good job showing him like really red and like his skin was peeling and you're like Ugh. you know like uh it just it looked very painful and it more than likely probably was yeah so he he like he like crawls into this bait box and and yeah it's like yeah it's like buoyant as well and it's got like sidewalls so like he can mm -hmm. actually like you know relax and not have yeah. to worry about clinging to something. So he's like, exactly. he's in this fucking bait box that's floating in the ocean. So it ten now that's a miracle. Like this is a real miracle, you know, involving you know this this situation. You know, I almost, where Nathan was able to figure it out. I almost thought you were going to say, "No, that's America." <laughs> that's America. That's America, right? Oh, yeah. there. That's an American. American, <laughs> not an American. 
<laughs> so uh, at, at 10 a.m. on April 15, 1990, Nathan Neesmith was finally rescued 20 miles off the coast of Georgia. He had been adrift without food or water for four days. Four fucking days. Without water? Jesus Christ. And food. And getting just burnt up by the sun, getting delirious by the salt water. What? I mean, he was even saying in the, you know, he was interviewed, he was, I was real close to dead. You know, I I wasn't real close. I, I, I was dead. I, I, I was in the process of I dying. Process of dying. Uh. <laughs> So, um, despite a large-scale search, the other fishermen were never found by the Coast Guard. Still, Na- It was one of the largest that they had ever done at that point. Yeah. Still, Nathan and his family never gave up hope. Then one day, Nathan's sister, Onita, received a curious phone call. According to Onita, the male caller spoke Spanish and seemed unable to understand English. All this person kept saying was repeating our phone number and saying our name, and that's all. And, you know, we just kept saying hello, hello, and it just cut off, just static. Um, that same day, an unusual call came into the home of Doug Tyson, owner of the ill-fated Casey Nicole. Once again, the caller was a man, and according to Tyson, the only English words he knew were Doug's name and telephone number. We didn't say anything about the call when we got it. After that, about six weeks, we were down visiting with the Neesmith family, and they started telling us about their call. And after they got through, I asked, how long ago was this? They thought back a minute and said about six weeks. I looked at my wife, and she looked at me, and I said, yeah. Over the next year, five more calls came in, three to Anita and two to the Tysons. Finally, on March 6, 1991, Onita received a call in which the caller spoke a single sentence in English. Very simple words. Just said, I'm bringing him home. That was it. After a brief moment, the connection was lost. There have been no calls since. What really happened to the lost crewman of the Casey Nicole? Officially, Billy Joel Neesmith, Keith Wilkes, and Franklin Brantley are presumed dead. Unofficially, there is no reason to hope that they may still be alive. Oh, there there is reason to hope that they missed this shit. <laughs> Cliffhanger there. Uh, they, they, there. There is reason to hope that they may still be alive. Now, the stuff with the calls is really puzzling. Like, um, it does lend 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 uh, some uh, credence and you know credit to the uh, theory that they might have been picked up by that freighter like and taken to some foreign country why would somebody be calling going all of that going all out there to like call from a different country long distance to the u.s to to communicate if there wasn't some you know shred of uh, believability to the idea that they might have uh, been picked up by that freighter um and then the whole thing later where the guy just says, I'm bringing him home. And that's a pretty elaborate prank from some, you know, people in a different country, if that's what it was. Yeah, but I mean, I think it would be possible, though, because I would imagine they had that story all in the news, you know, about the people like, you know, the dudes yeah, missing it. See, I, I don't know. 
Like it just seems like to go for all that trouble, not only to 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 uh, call one member uh, of the family of the missing uh, crewmen, but like another one. Like it just seems to me that there 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 honestly might have been some legitimate legitimacy to that particular theory that they might have been picked up. Um, well, all I'm saying is I never would have thought that someone would have like you know, took the time out to make man-made crop circles, but that, that was a thing, so you never know what people will stick Well, yeah, to. but then there were also other, you know, crop circles that were not man-made, so... Yeah, but I'm saying, like... I also never like, would have thought that somebody would have swam, you know, miles away to a boat just because they think that there might be something there that could help and then live without food and water for four days in the middle of the fucking ocean. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> um, I think, you know, that, like I said, there, there's, a there's some plausibility to the idea that they might have been picked up. And then maybe in the process of trying to bring one of them home, something happened, and that's why, you know, they, they eventually died. Like, that would be really... That would be twice as tragic... Like they were close to being brought back to the U.S. and then something occurred, and wouldn't it be would have been like really horrible if like oh they're they're gonna get brought back and then the boat that they're on also sinks, <laughs> the boat that's gonna take them home. Yes, that would that would it sinks. That would be you. You would have to think who who have I pissed off in my former life to deserve this? Exactly. Um, I definitely do believe that they're dead, though, one way or another. Yeah, you know, the whole thing about, like, people, you know, like, it happens a lot on this show where someone's missing, they're most likely dead, whoever's looking for them, God bless them, you know, you, you want it to be not so, but it's like... You know, nine times out of ten, they're they're gonna be dead, and the you know the people just don't want to like accept that. And I I get it, and you want you want it to be that one out of ten chance that they're not dead, but there's just a lot of times like on the show, like with amnesia cases or the kind of schizophrenic breaks where the person disappears, and they can't find them, and this that and the other, families looking for them and all that. Uh, there's just like that whole thing where I'm. Well, there were some of them that, like, I legitimately do believe that, like, their son really was somewhere. It's just he had a mental breakdown. So then it's incredibly hard for anyone to be able to get a hold of uh, someone in that state. Well, what the the ones that really weird me out are the are the uh, there have been a few cases on unsolved mysteries about. Um, like the like the government um that I saw a great one I think I marked it down for us to talk about um the government marking someone as killed in action or missing in action and really they weren't like they yeah. and then there's you know the whole conspiracy about like you know the government are, or like that one we talked about the guy who they said he was dead or whatever but his sister recognized him yeah that was that was a creepy later. one I saw one recently about this guy who um, that they uh, the are you the government declared that uh, we were at peace with uh, 
I think it was Vietnam or something, but we, we really, uh, uh, or no, it was Cambodia, but we really were still at war with Cambodia, but we had already told the public and everybody that we weren't. And there were like this one division of military that had to stay on their mission, even though it was declared, you know, we're, we're at peacetime now or whatever. Uh huh. And, um, the plane ended up getting shot down or something over Cambodian territory. And, um, the family was told that their son died and then they found all these like, you know, secret files. Well, they weren't secret files, but they found these files at the Pentagon with all this information redacted out of the file. And basically long story short, he wasn't, uh, they, they said he, he wasn't killed that he was, uh, that he was either missing or that he was like, he had been taken prisoner or something, but they had like already told the parents that he was killed. So, so now the parents kind of think that he might still be alive. Like that's the kind of shit where I'm like, "Mm, maybe, you know, because the government, the the ones, you know, where the the government, you know, has them, you know, change their identity, you know, to, to protect, you know, government secrets and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's like real mysterious shit to me right there. Like what the hell? That's crazy. For sure, one hundred percent. It's a uh, yeah. This this particular case is, I, I think this is a uh, really good missing persons case. Um, it's got great production values, uh, decent performances. You know, n- nothing like amazing, but like really, the show wasn't known for like amazing acting. <laughs> I would even say sometimes quite the opposite. People like to tr- yeah, people like to exactly. troll the show about how oh it's so. Uh, well, some of them, some of the acting was was you know pretty pretty bad. Yeah, but you know people out there who aren't like fans of the show or they're just kind of like a passing. Yeah. They just kind of like a, a the ironically you know the, enjoy, the people who ironically enjoy oh, the show. God, and I know that there's people out there like that, and I hate you. I I hate you, whoever you are out there who ironically likes Unsolved Mysteries. You're such a bastard. <laughs> so now, I've gotten back into watching it, and I've been uh, making notes on some cases that we haven't talked about yet, so I'm excited about that. But yeah, I know it's kind of coming in on a short one now, but I mean, we kind of talked about what we had to talk about. Sorry that it took long to get it out. Uh, I know you guys have been hearing this for a long time now. You but briefly mention that uh, Joe Rogan podcast uh, that he did? I am, I am listening to the Bob Lazar uh, interview right now. I have not finished it. Um, I will say it is. it, it was kind of um, creepy-ish or weird or telling. I don't know what word I'm looking for, but Bob Lazar had... Revealing? Yeah, Bob Lazar had like a migraine the entire show. Like he 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 was so like I guess troubled talking about stress. Yeah, talking about this stuff that like he he got, he had like a migraine so much so that he kept like like mentioning it throughout the entire interview. He's like, "Yeah, I'm, I just have this really bad migraine like talking about this stuff blah blah blah." So I was like, "Damn, that's crazy." It's like it because he's gotten he's gotten so much now shit. I'm just thinking about scanners <laughs> you know like the government put like something in his head oh and, yeah you know, his head's gonna explode later 
Yeah. So when when I finish listening to that completely, I would I I would like to bring up you know. Is there any like news of the bazaar? <laughs> yeah, I got I got I got some old news of the bazaar from uh, a long time ago that I can pull up here. Do we have anything new though? Like there was that there's some crazy shit going on in Florida as usual. Uh, it's so <laughs> hack at this point. Uh, let me see. Put your foot in. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, didn't Trump and his organization like acknowledge like UFOs or something? Like, you know, not the organization, the the government. Oh, this one's pretty good. Dang, you weren't kidding about an old... <laughs> Alright. This is definitely bizarre. <laughs> you want to take this? Yeah, hold on a second. Fuck a duck. Speaking of ducks, have, have you seen Howard the Duck? Because there was that scene, no, that infamous scene with, with a, a, a female uh, duck, you know, like it's a, and uh, they show her tits, duck tits, Just a random fucking yeah, duck tits. Holy shit, duck tits. Do they look like human tits but furry, feathery? Yeah. Well, now we know what Mike's into. <laughs> I'm not really into any of that. It's just it's just one of those things a lot of people bring up about Howard the Duck. Is that like a cult? Is, is that like, like a cult classic movie? Yeah. Okay. That's a cult classic. You know, it's considered like one of the worst movies ever made. And and I I don't think it's one of the worst movies ever made. I could see why people aren't fans of it, but I don't consider it to be one of the worst movies ever made. What's crazy about Howard the Duck is it actually is Marvel's first cinematic film. They're released in theaters based on a Marvel property. Oh, yeah. It's Howard the Duck. Jeez. Oh, that, might, that could be a really good trivia question for me. And uh, George Lucas, he's a really big fan of the character, and he's one of the producers for the film. And initially wanted to do an animated movie, but then he realized it wasn't going to be that profitable and would cost a lot of money to make. So he decided to do a uh, live-action film instead, and that didn't help you know, either because the movie was a bomb. But I, I have fun with it. I grew up with it, too, so I think that's part of it. If we have some nostalgic feelings for, for Howard the Duck. All right, guys, we are dusting off this segment uh, because we want to give you the most bang for your podcast dollar. And we are bringing you some news of the bazaar. And this piece is uh, entitled Russian Cannibal Couple Confessed to Eating 30 People Sold, quote, meat pieces at army base, police say. Russian investigators believe a couple arrested for murder in the city of Krasnodar 
may have practiced cannibalism for nearly 20 years and hidden victims' remains in their freezer and saline-filled jars occasionally used to supply, quote, frozen meat pieces to soldiers at a nearby military Holy academy. fuck. Sounds like a, a plot for a, a uh, horror movie. It's, it's really what it sounds like. Police detained Natalia Bakshi, 42, and her husband Dimitri Bakshi, 35, earlier this month after the discovery of a series of grisly selfies on a cell phone showed graphic images of dismembered body parts. In one photo published in Russia media, Dmitry Bakshiv appears to pose with what Russia's interior ministry described as different parts of a human body in his mouth. Why is this such a buried story? Like, this is like in 2017? Like, why aren't more people talking about it? This is like an actual, literal horror movie. (laughs) City workers spotted the apparently discarded cell phone lying in the street. After their arrest, the pair confessed to eating as many as 30 people, some of whom may have been lured into the Bakshiv's apartment via Russia online dating sites. Once there, investigators believe the couple drugged their victims before killing them. The investigation is still ongoing and police have not yet confirmed many details of the case. Only Dmitry Bakshiv has been charged with one count of murder so far. However, the case could turn out to be one of the deadliest of its kind in Russia and follows revelations earlier this year related to an 18-year reign of terror by a serial killer dubbed the Werewolf. Mikhail Popkov, a former police officer, confessed in March to killing 82 people ages 17 to 38. Jesus between, fucking Christ. Between 1992 and 2010, he raped all of his victims. In one life, I was an ordinary person. In my other life, I committed murders, which I carefully concealed from everyone. Realizing this was a criminal offense, he said in trial testimony. In the case, in the Bakshiv case, one of the couple's neighbors, a former nurse, told the Moskovsky Komsomolots newspaper that Natalia Bakshiv made and sold pies to supplement her income and would sometimes tell local cafe owners they would fill with they were filled with whatever's around <laughs> holy shit so it's like uh sweeney todd and or that or a really obscure reference that i guarantee you don't get and don't know anything about uh some directed video horror film called auntie lee's meat pies you would be and, correct sir and the meat that was in the pies was people oh god it's people <laughs> According to investigators, husband and wife were both at one time, uh, both at one time worked at the military academy. Although, in what capacity and when is not clear. You know, I've always really wondered, like, what human meat would taste like if you like grilled it up. You know, like I never actually want to eat uh, meat, knowing that it was a human being. But at the same time, though, like. For all we know, it could taste really good. But we'll never know. Because who's going to do that? You know, what sane person is going to... Unless you had to. But if you had to... Like what the Packers, you know, the Alfred Packer and company. You know, have you heard about that? Like is, that the, the, the is that the airplane that went down in the mountain? Well, that, that's a different one. That's the the uh, soccer players. They had to do that too. Uh, that's uh, the film Alive is based on... Um, but there was, uh, like, the Packers, 
Alfred Packer. Um, it was like in, I trying to remember exactly what particular time period it was. It was like early, like in Colorado. Yeah. He murdered his traveling companions. He was known as the Colorado cannibal. He was an American prospector and self-proclaimed professional wilderness guide who confessed to cannibalism during the winter of 1874. He and five other men attempted to travel through the San Juan Mountains of Colorado during the peak of a harsh winter. When only Packer reached civilization, he said he had been he had been abandoned by his party, but eventually confessed that the party had resorted to cannibalism to stay alive when they became hopelessly lost. He later recanted the story and confessed to having lived off the flesh of his companions during a snowbound state after they had fallen victim to party member Shannon Bell, whom Packer said he shot in self-defense and to having used their flesh to survive while stranded and during his trek out of the mountains nearly two and a half months later. Now, apparently his story was called into question. He escaped jail and hid from justice for nine years before being tried, convicted and convicted of premeditated murder and sentenced to death. Packer actually won a retrial and was eventually sentenced to 40 years in prison on five counts of voluntary manslaughter. And there actually is a... Uh, <laughs> comedic take out his story which is done by uh, matt stone and trey parker called cannibal the musical there's a film that's inspired by by it uh called uh, ravenous which i highly recommend that's a good one yeah yeah it's crazy man that's fucking crazy can you imagine doing that I mean, I can't. I can't imagine uh, making any anything uh, myself unprepared. You know, like like even like if it was an animal, like skinning the animal and cutting, you know, its 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 entrails out, and you know, making a fight. The Donner Party's another one. Yeah, you know where they got lost and started eating each other. Yeah. Uh, you don't look like you'd be. You would taste very good. Because <laughs> it'd be very stringy. Yeah, you don't. You don't really. What you'd want, you'd want someone who's like really fit, like with, with a lot of muscles. That's who. That's who you want to fillet. Get a nice. <laughs> get a nice piece of the uh, pectoral there, and this has gotten pretty dark. And I'm hungry right now, yeah. so <laughs> I think we need to call it on this one. Um, so I can, so I'm guessing you would you would eat those pies if you were hungry enough. Yeah, if I was, I mean, if it meant like I die or my I have to live with the fact that I had some people, then you know I'll have to just live with the fact that I had some people and therapy my way out of it. Yeah, because if you like the taste and you know, be one of those things where you'd be like, I want more of it. Yeah, and then then you go down a really slippery slope. It could it could end up bit, you know eating people could be like the the Nutella of uh, you know meat. It's just like oh my god this this is this is amazing. I got to get more. Any hoozles, uh, that's the podcast. <laughs> if you want to join our Facebook group, you can do so by typing in "uncovering unexplained mysteries" in the search bar and uh, click on the groups, and you'll find us there. You can like us on Facebook. Uncovering Explained Mysteries. You can support us on Patreon, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, or patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. You usually get the podcast early. You, you, you won't this week because we're already so late as is. We need to just get it out to everyone ASAP. 
but you usually get it out early and then you get some bonus segments every now and then too. Uh, you can go fuck yourself. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. The delusion <laughs> of hunger is getting to me. Uh, you yeah, can, uh, Josh, you're definitely not yourself when you're no, hungry. No, I'm not. You can find me and Mike separately but equally on YouTube. Uh, you can find Mike at youtube.com slash OCP communications. He's a movie guy. Mike, what was the last thing you talked about on your YouTube channel? Uh, the last movie I reviewed was Dick Tracy. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember I remember loving that NES game. It was hard. That, movie, that, that game is horrible. It's, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's okay. shit. And it makes no sense. But as a kid... I hated it when I was a kid because I couldn't even figure out what the fuck I was supposed to do. I was driving around in the car getting shot by fucking guns on buildings. You know, and I think the only thing I liked about it... I didn't have any... I didn't have an instruction book either. Yeah, I did, either. I, yeah, this no, was before either. the internet. Yeah. So you didn't no, know... No, you had no what, idea what to just, do. But what, I liked the inside of the buildings, though. I liked how they looked. Like the wallpaper and the <laughs> plants and all. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I, I really liked the aesthetic. So I reviewed Dick Tracy, and then I also talked about some movie trailers and stuff. And then I did a stream last night. Oh, yeah, I crashed your stream and embarrassed you. (laughs) Not really. Yeah, I know. I already embarrassed myself early on. What'd you do? Being like a total fucking goober trying to figure out what the fuck I'm doing. Was that? Yeah, (laughs) you're going to have to tell me how to do a live stream because I want to do one, too, on my channel. I just don't know what what I'm going to do on there yet. It's actually pretty cool. If you have OBS, it's a, a, a free uh, screen recorder software, and you just follow some some directions you find online. It's actually pretty pretty easy. I I, I initially was like messing around because YouTube was telling me my stream health was terrible or it was bad, and I was like, what the hell? And then I realized that it tells me that at the beginning, but like when I start, as soon as I started it up, it's like it's fine. I'm like, then why the fuck did you? <laughs> Dicks. Why are you telling me it's bad early on? Um, but the next stream I'm gonna do is gonna be way better because I'm gonna do that an earlier, so I'm not as tired, and um, on a day where I haven't like worked for like four days straight. So I feel like if I did a live stream, I'd have like all of ten people watch me. Yeah, I only had like forty something, you know, people that. It's all right. I mean, whenever and, and the in the interaction was fun. Yeah, we did a me and Stephanie did an Instagram live stream one time, and we had like three or four people watching, and we're like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" So yeah, if it's more than four or five, then that'll be neat. But uh, yeah, you can find me on YouTube by going to YouTube.com/slash Dancing with Ghosts. That is Dancing with Ghosts. Once again, Dancing with Ghosts. Uh, the last video I did was an abysmal failure. I reviewed the Neumann TLM 102 mic, the mic that I used on last week's podcast. Uh, when really getting down to the nuts and bolts of the sound quality versus my Sterling Audio mic that I'm using right now this very second, uh, I, I could barely hear a fucking difference between the two microphones. I don't know if you watched that video or not, Mike, but... Not yet. Yeah, there's, there was like... I, I ended up, I'm returning that mic because it was expensive as hell and it really, I did not hear a difference. Like when I was editing the podcast, I didn't hear a difference. When we were recording our new song, which by the way, that's a, that's a problem. If you don't hear much of a difference and it costs you an arm and a oh, leg. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dancing with Ghosts is recording a new song, by the way, but don't tell anybody. Um, yeah. Like you just kind of, 
Well, they, I trust all these people. I don't think they're going <laughs> to. I don't think they're going to tell anyone. But now, yeah. So anyway, I did a, re- video, a video reviewing that. But I also do like uh, get videos about music related things like uh, video game related things. Although the video game videos. Uh, I, I even did a poll on my YouTube channel the other day saying like, you know, what videos of mine do you enjoy the most? And the video game videos got the least amount of votes. So I think I'm. I think I might officially be retired from making video game videos, which sucks because I like making them. But I just know there's so much competition out there in that world that, you know, and plus, I don't have the time to be like the kind of gamer that you need to be to be a, like a true YouTube yeah. gamer like those motherfuckers. Well, no, a lot of people kind of feel that way about me, you know, with my movie reviews, because I don't review like every new movie that comes out. But, you know. I like the fact that you just review random, like whatever the hell you kind of feel like doing. Like, I, th- I mean, yeah, it's, it, it hurts yeah. your channel growth for sure. Because if you look at what Nostalgic Critic does, it's like anytime uh, a movie's coming out, he'll review either a movie that has something to do with it or something that ties into it. Something. But that's the problem. I don't like being put in a box. That's what a lot of these, you know, critics do. And, and if I was, even if I was more popular and that's what that was causing it. Man, I'd really feel I'd start to really fall out of love for for film because I'd just be like I'm so I'm stuck in a fucking box all the time. I have to talk about th- this franchise and that franchise and new movies and popular films, and I can't really go and review obscure films, which is some of the my favorite things to do is review more obscure stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, I will say this, folks. Um, I haven't done a review of it yet. Um, I might someday down the road, but I did finally get a chance to see uh, Stanford Prison Experiment. I was really looking forward to that, and it did not disappoint. It's a fantastic film. Disturbing, fucked up. There is some uh, liberties that are taken in terms of the reality of the situation that's presented in the film, um, but not as much as some people make it out to be. Because uh, Zombardo actually was a uh, creative consultant for the film. Um, and if you don't know what the Stanford Prison Experiment is, do, do, definitely do uh, some research. I think it would be a fun th- thing to do about the podcast someday, is to kind of talk about the Stanford Prison Experiment. Sure. Um, it's a, uh, there's a documentary, too, that actually uh, has uh, interviews with the real people involved and everything called, I think it's called... Is it Quiet Hell or it's something hell? I, I think that's what it's called. No, no, it's called Sil- Quiet Rage. That's it. Quiet Rage, I believe, is what it's called. The Stanford Prison Experiment. The movie's good, too. All right. Well, that about does it for the podcast. Sorry it was late once again, folks. We just couldn't get our schedules lined up this week. But uh, next week, we should hopefully be back on track. And until next time, don't cry and don't die. And uh, bye. See ya. So now we've come to the point in the podcast where I'm going to promote my band, Dancing With Ghosts. We are on Spotify and anywhere else that you want to stream music, so please give us a listen. And if you like what you hear, consider supporting our band. You can buy limited editions of our physical CDs and uh, t-shirts in the description to this podcast. And uh, we just appreciate you checking out the band and giving it a chance. And now here is a little clip of some of our music. So much
tied up As goes the night I feel the slip in this abyss Handcrafted cage, my skull, I cannot stand You cannot stand